Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Catch Cake podcast. This week, we continue on with our series of interviews, and we have the wonderful Lucy from Wild Awake, um, who does environmental education, ancestral skills and knowledge, and is here to tell us all about her stories of nature and wild foods, and I'm sure you're going to love the conversation today. So, Lucy, welcome. How are you doing? Great, thank you for having me. A little lamb just walked into my garden, so I'm feeling feeling quite happy about that. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, so your beautiful uh, creation, Wild Awake, for anybody that hasn't heard of it, would you give us a little info on what it is or how it came about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I set up, um, my first project was called Phoenix Forest School, and I set that up in the Phoenix Park in 2015. And um, yeah, that had really grown from years of like working in schools and um, exploring environmental education and always having this love for the earth and this love for nature. And um, yeah, like the strong passion for social justice and, and wanting to find a way to kind of impact change, um, I suppose, really. Um, so I did my forest school training in 20, 2015. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit wild. I did the forest school training in March of 2015, finished it in August and set up the school in September. I was just like, I just, I was like, this is it. This is what I need to do. So um, yeah, I was running that. Um, and just brilliant to be able to work in an inner city park in Dublin, you know, and the yeah, create that kind of access to people for this type of learning. Um, and then gradually as I was doing that, you know, I was working with lots of different um, children, different ages of young people, different demographics. And there was always this kind of hunger from the parents and from the teachers and from other people to offer something to adults. Um, and sort of simultaneously with that, like I'd kind of caught the bug for this kind of learning. I did my forest school training. It was like a dip in the water for me and I just knew that this is what I wanted to do so I just I kept my own learning journey happening and um, went and studied like long-term ethnobotany courses did like a bushcraft leadership course and um, spent some time with one of my teachers Lynx Filden who's this incredible wild woman um, who teaches a lot of ancestral skills and ancient skills and so there was this kind of, um, it was like there was this cloth being woven, you know, and out of that came Wild Awake. So I launched Wild Awake in 2017 um, as a way of sharing all these different threads with teenagers and adults. Um, so, yeah, the, the aim of Wild Awake is and has always been to rekindle cultural and ecological resilience through the learning of ancestral lifewise. Um, so yeah, now, I mean, I was sort of saying to you, it's always kind of morphing and changing depending on who I am, because it, it is such a huge part of me, do you know? Um, so now it's, um, yeah, I'm working almost exclusively with adults. And what I'm really passionate about is these kind of immersive journeys for people. Um, so, you know, a lot of my classes will be over the course of a week or over the course of a year. Um, just really like deepening into what it means to 
you know, reconnect with wild nature, with our wild selves, what it looks like to decolonize on this land, what it looks like to, um, yeah, really re re reawaken to the things that we've lost so that we can begin to imagine what a future can look like for us. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the sort of passions that are driving me with Wild Awake. Mm, really beautiful. Um, and do you feel like, was there a point where you lost that wildness or was it always like pulling you towards it? Like, was it from your home or was it always mm. there? Um, yeah, well, I, I was born in Belfast and um, I was born in the city. And then my mom would have always had a close relationship with nature and always wanted to get us out. And um, then we moved to um, a, a town in County Down for most of my teenage years. Um, and that was like not a great experience. But what came out of that was, you know, we were in a house just surrounded by fields um, and I, it was like not a not a safe family home scenario. So I would just go out to the fields and that was the place where I was safe, you know, and just that kind of unstructured, free, um, limitless time spent with nature. I mean, it's... Um, you know, I was saying to you that I was working with kids yesterday and you just, you witness it so clearly in children when they have that connection to nature from a young age, whether it is in a wild place or whether it's at a park in the city or with the tree outside their house. It's like that that seed kind of lands very deeply inside of us and we don't forget that. Um, so that was definitely, it was planted from a very young age, but then a kind of, I suppose, a different kind of wildness. <laughs> pulled me for a long time of like <laughs> punk gigs and squatting culture and um yeah just long long times um sort of I suppose just engaging with a very different type of wildness <laughs> I'm sure people know what I mean um so yeah I really came back to it like in my in my early 20s mm, yeah amazing um and it's funny that wildness part, you know, I it's funny because it can be very scary for people like to witness the wild version of themselves or there's a sort of fear about it. And it's like we are like that is inherently who we are. And like, you know, I was in the city recently and people were, you know, intoxicated and I was like, there's that wildness like they have now allowed it. And it's like you you probably see it maybe I don't know like maybe the people that come to you do you do you sense a sort of fear with the sense of being wild yeah I mean it's so interesting to delve into this word you know because it can hold so many different meanings for people like from this you know kind of idea of wildness of something uncontrollable something chaotic something that needs to be like ordered um like this kind of supremacist standpoint of it of like that's an other state of being or to like what the wildness in the way that I relate to it you know for me it's like a coming home you know it's um it's a recognizing of ourselves as a part of everything it's like destroying those boundaries between me and this tree or this plant it's like yeah I suppose it's like recognizing that that sense of of oneness 
but it exists in so many different forms and it can be both romanticized and vilified as well. So I think, yeah, of course, like we all have these internalized cultural narratives within us about what it means to be wild or what happens, you know, because like, of course, like we live in a, we live in a culture that, that actively suppresses wildness, whether it's, you know, in our ecology, like the land consistently being controlled um, and in ourselves of trying to conform to like this, this culture that we've created, which is, um, yeah, which, which uproots us, you know, which disconnects us from our true nature, which disconnects us from the practices, which, you know, really demonstrate how wildness is about cooperation. It's about liberation. It's about like, um, you know, these, these vast mycelial webs of fungi that connect everything and share resources and of mutual aid. It's like, to me, that's, that's wildness. And that's like whenever I speak about rewilding, um, it is it is from that standpoint, um, yeah. It's but it's such a vast thing, and it's so heavily ingrained in our in our culture to be, to resist wildness, you know, um, and to misconstrue it, because that's what helps this kind of like unhealthy culture to perpetuate itself, you know, mm. um, so yeah, it's definitely a lot of misinformation <clears throat> there around it. Yeah, and I think as well, like in a lot of, well, a lot of third world countries I visited, like that wildness is a lot more preserved. As mm. in, it's very normal to not have shoes. It's very normal, you know, to be connected into the soil. And a lot of their customs are still there. And I remember coming home after my travels and I started going to the shops and stuff with no shoes on. And people like, like I got literally scolded. And I was like, I got really rebellious. And I was like, well, I will walk in here in no shoes. And then the lady says in the shop, oh my god what if you like what it's all fear like it's like what if you fall on the ground and I'm like but I'm walking on nails and everything all the time <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, yeah. she just they just couldn't handle it you know and it's like trying to there's like such a a way of doing it like a gentle way or there's and there's a really rebellious way and it's like um bringing it in slowly you know mm. Yeah, I was thinking there when you were chatting about the shoes thing of, um, do you know, when I'm teaching people about foraging or teaching kids about foraging and that real disconnect from where our food comes from. Like if I, you know, pick a nettle and or I pick a blackberry and eat it and especially working with kids like in the inner city, you know, like just that fear of if an animal's peed on it or if it's poisonous or if it's you know just really like complete disconnect from that and, and that will happen you know mm -hmm. when people are removed from the land in that way and not given that opportunity to connect in that way or to learn those skills it's um do you know like that that is kind of the history of of colonialism in this land like in many lands like you know we're sort of um those indigenous lifeways have been intentionally destroyed where it's, you know, you, you remove people from the land, from the things that nourish them, from the lifeways that nourish them, which is about like living in cooperation with each other and with the land. Um, so yeah, it's a very real, it's a very real fear and a real trauma. And um, I suppose it's, um, 
yeah to me to me i consider it very important work to be able to be that go-between to people to kind of alleviate some of those concerns or connect people in that way and yeah my prayer is just that it's so freely accessible to people regardless of where they're from or um because because it probably you know it will come to this soon again where we'll need these skills um mm. and not just the skills of like how do we you know sustain ourselves by eating from the land but also oh, there's a hair sorry um but also mm. like how do we you know how do we navigate conflict in communities how do we um yeah like how do we listen to each other especially in an age where there's so much polarization between people you know and like more entrenched political views it's like how do we you know still come together and be able to find common ground and connect with each other and um, because to me ultimately that is like you know I'll teach survival skills about how to make fire or how to find shelter or how to purify water but actually to me like the ultimate survival skill is conflict navigation like how do we how do we form communities regardless of our own personal beliefs like you know mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah interesting and for anybody like who holds that belief of like oh my god an animal might have peed on that like if you were to recommend somebody to go out say at the moment now and forage something and they Mm -hmm. have that fear like what kind of advice could you give to them because that is so common like oh an animal peed on that (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and like maybe it did you know and there's loads of ways to kind of avoid those places so like often you know if I'm foraging in a built-up area, like I won't forage food that's right in the kind of pea zone, you know, so I might step off the path a little bit and forage further. Um, Yeah, like I, I, I used to love foraging in Dublin city centre because there would be loads of waste grounds, you know, like there's so many, I mean, obviously there's so many vacant houses and there's so many vacant lots that are full of edible and medicinal plants. Um. My concern more so than animal pee is like whether they've been sprayed with glyphosate or with like herbicides or pesticides. And that's sometimes harder to tell, you know, so it's definitely great about like if you're looking to engage with foraging for wild food or medicine for yourself, then observing a place over time um, and speaking to local people that are there and finding friends that want to do the same. Um but yeah, there's lots of ways of getting into it. And there's so many kind of, you know, gateway plants that I say like, of you know, everybody can identify a nettle and like what a nutritional powerhouse they are, you know, like people looking to the health food shops for healthy food, but actually like nettle is one of our most nutrient dense foods. And it's pretty much in everything I'm eating at the moment, every single day, like, you know, getting that and it's free and abundant and it just, you know, I'm always reluctant to say free food because it's free, but like the the price is like the relationship that you build with it, you know, that you take time to get to know a plant and that you you harvest like with respect and um you harvest in a way that's kind of ecologically minded to the plant of what will continue, like what will support this plant to continue growing rather than just going in with a consumer mindset of 
I can take this, this is mine now, you know. Um, so there's definitely like a shift that needs to happen between the the two worlds um, of, yeah, how do we go out onto the land in a way that is regenerative and respectful and loving, really. Hmm. Very good. Um, and you mentioned as well that you did some bushcraft mm-hmm. training. So do you teach this on the courses as well? Yeah, yeah. I did bushcraft training because I didn't know what else there was. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I mean, it was really interesting. I did this year long kind of bushcraft um, instructor course. And, uh, you know, it was all men. There was kind of quite a sort of macho environment. And um, the bushcraft world in general is just generally quite like macho and militaristic. And I was there kind of just like singing to the plants and having a great time and wandering about my bare feet. Um, but it was, you know, it was great in that I was able to learn things really, really well, like to such a depth of detail, which then, you know, supported me to change and adapt how I want to teach those skills. So, um, you know, people would say bushcraft, I suppose I talk about like, you know, ancestral life ways or ancestral skills to kind of decenter it from that bushcraft world. Um, but yeah, certainly, you know, I'll be starting the the Wild Awakening, which is my um seven month long program at the end of this month. And we'll begin with just those those basic skills of how to make fire, how to make fire without matches, how to put up a tarp, how to do knots, how to um you know, forage for food, cook over the fire, which are like, you know, our basic skills, like how do we meet our basic needs in the outdoors? Um, yeah, so I wouldn't write it off completely. It's definitely like there are great people doing work in that field. And my teacher, John Ryder, would be one of them. Um, but yeah, it's great to sort of know all the things and then come at it with this perspective of relationship building as well. Mm. Yeah, and do you ever get the thing of like off people, you know, like, oh, if there's an apocalypse, we're going to come to you. (laughs) Do you ever get that? (laughs) All the time. I always get it about the honey. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to come to you. (laughs) Because the only thing you can live off without other food. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm like, no, all locked away. Yeah. (laughs) Dug into the ground. Nobody's getting it. (laughs) And then it's like, would you want to be alive in the chaos? And it's like... (laughs) yeah definitely um yeah it's honestly like when I I move you know I've moved up to Donegal and um you know it took me a really long time to convince my partner that it was a great idea to move here and now he's really really happy but um yeah like to me like I you know the apocalypse is such a loaded word but obviously like the world is changing you know and collapse is happening and like as scary as it is I don't think it's a bad thing either like the world that we are living in needs to end um and coming here was a really conscious step for me towards that not because it's a wild place and there's loads of space but because there's community and because I have well I have some family here as well and but really it was like where is it that I can go that there are community connections that will be resilient in the face of collapse and um, 
like recognize like the huge privilege that I have to be able to make that choice and move towards that but like I yeah I suppose if anybody was looking for advice about the apocalypse I'm like just wherever you are like build resilient connections with your community it's like the only way that we're going to be able to get through this in hopefully a good way you know Mm. and do you have hope you know with species decline and everything impacting each other you know because birthing and like do you have any feel for the flow of what's happening um yeah it's a really really tricky one like you know um and then it's like we create what we envision so it's like you know that way yeah I mean I I feel so far removed from like the high intensity struggles that people are facing at the moment as part of climate collapse um like I'm able to live in comfort I have enough food I have access to clean water you know I have so many things at the moment that I think for me it's I just, I just, I, I'm, um, I'm definitely really concerned, and that's always been why I do the work that I do. You know, is to like, yeah, it's try and support like resilience in this time. Um, and do I have hope? Like, I don't know. It's hope is such a funny one because I think sometimes hope can kind of block out what we don't want to see (laughs) um but at the same time I feel like if I if I didn't have hope I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now you know um yeah like I I really value and cherish the knowledge that has been passed on from generation to generation and I am like so honored to be able to continue in that lineage of passing on that that knowledge um so yeah I suppose I share it in the hope that it is that it continues and that it's useful to people and it can support all species um to thrive and yeah very good well you're definitely making an impact so (laughs) um and um you're currently participating in the Wild Biome Project. I am. Um, how are you enjoying that and what are you feasting on at the moment? Mm-hmm. I am I am loving it. Um, yeah, so it was three weeks yesterday, so I'm not even a third of the way through. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we began on, on spring equinox and we'll finish on summer solstice. Um, I found out about this project last autumn, so I had quite a bit of time to prepare through the autumn and the winter. Um, so I have, you know, I have a very small kitchen, but I have lots of freezer storage in various different households um, around the country. That's your community right there. Huh? <laughs> exactly. Freezer space. Um so yeah, I was able to gather like a lot of seaweeds and a lot of mushrooms and I butchered a couple of deer and some other animals in preparation. Um, I have a local fishman who gets wild fish in. So I'm by no means hungry um, or I don't feel any scarcity. I feel like I have an abundance of food. Um, I actually have a scarcity of fat, which I'm a little bit concerned about. Um, 
just yeah it's really I find it really interesting how much you know fat is so demonized in our sort of in the culture but it's so vital you know and I really feel it now when I don't have fat because I'm on very low carb diet if I don't have fat it really affects my energy um, so I am on the lookout for fat. That would be wild rendered fat. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, and what about the like duck fat? And there's just like not a lot of fat on animals at this time of year. Like a lot of them okay. have burnt up their fat stores over the winter. So even the couple of deer that I did get, you know, there wasn't that much on them. Um, so I'm eating like a lot of eel at the moment, which is one of the fattiest fish out there. And then mackerel, which would be also quite a fatty fish, but it's not really. And are you intuitively like when you see that fat, then are you like, oh, I need that? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's so straight. Yeah, my body's really craving certain things like craving bitters a lot, you know, and um, like the action of bitters. So if you think about eating a dandelion leaf. Um, again bitters like one of those flavors that's really maligned um, in our cuisine like but bitters like what they do is they help us to break down our food and absorb all of the vitamins and minerals from our food so my body is like get me the bitters now because we need to make all of this as available to the body as possible Um, so it's like all these kind of yeah like all these things are happening in my body (laughs) while I'm going about my day-to-day life and that's the most challenging part of this you know is like doing it alone is just you've heard how big I am on community (laughs) so like to do this alone at the moment it's just really challenging like I've never been a meal prepper I've never planned what I eat and I have to be thinking about that pretty much 24-7 at the moment of okay, I'm working tomorrow, I need to make sure that I have a packed lunch that has all of these different things that my body needs. Um, what am I going to eat tomorrow? Do I need to go and prepare that? Like, this is in season now, I need to go out and get the birch sap. So it's like this constant, um, yeah, this constant feed almost of, okay, where where am I on this journey? And what's happening in the wider landscape at the moment? Um, and it's interesting, like when you're a forager, or a tracker and I'm sure this comes up in other um sort of um skills as well but you you kind of you become like a tracker of the landscape you know and you think about how incredible our brains are that you know I'm thinking okay right I need to get burdock roots and then suddenly my mind is kind of like tracking the whole landscape of where did I see burdock roots all right I saw them at this patch okay I'll go over and I'll I'll dig some of those so you're kind of thinking in this really big way um yeah it's um it's really amazing and when we think about it in terms of you know when we go into the supermarket like we're we we still have that capacity within us like we're able to track like all the different colors shapes varieties of different vegetables of different brands of different logos like we have that inbuilt capacity like it's this ancestral muscle that's in us but then to be using it in the way that it has been used for millennia you know of how do I find food in my landscape and it's kind of just a really humbling experience 
mm. um, and frustrating as well that like you know so many corporations um have co-opted that part of our brain so that we can you know there's often this thing that shows up on social media of you know how many kids can recognize these different logos versus how many of them can recognize these different leaf shapes and trees mm-hmm. um and it's just yeah it's so stark you know um but that's just like that's that's so innate in us to be able to recognize patterns and um, <clears throat> attach them to to meanings yeah and I'm like you know I'd be a big questioner like (laughs) people know me for that I'd be questioning like oh my god all the time but like there's that part of our brain as well like uh, the RAS where like you tell your brain you want or you need something and then for the whole day it will focus on that like Mm. you know like I need this berry and it will literally look everywhere for it or like you know, you go to the beach, I want to see a stone that has a love shape. You'll see hundreds of them then, you know, it's like we're actually really, 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 really intelligent. Mm-hmm. But we have to consciously act on that, mm-hmm. you know. And I was actually listening to a guy yesterday. He scans brains like it was so interesting. I was like so into it. I was like, tell me more. And he scanned like 230,000 brains or something. But he was talking about blood flow in the brain. And that basically a lot of the things we're doing actually inhibits blood flow. And the brain is obviously the big charger of the body. It's it's really managing everything and how like, you know, caffeine, you know, lowers blood flow to the brain, smoking, like all of these things that we look for. Many people can look for fixes actually are inhibiting like our potential or our intelligence, or our brain's capacity to really use all that knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like. Yeah, like that deconditioning and rewiring of like who we once were like because we have so much capacity and potential and power and mm-hmm. it's all there like mm-hmm. yeah 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 so I mean hopefully you know something that will come out of this project is you know this is a, a study like this has never been done with mm-hmm. a western human gut and that's really the intention is to see what happens to our guts when we start eating wild food? Studies like this have been done with the Hadza before. Um, and, you know, there's, it's not that everybody's going to suddenly start foraging, you know, tomorrow. But even if people recognize that, no, actually, there is evidence to support what we already know, but there is evidence to support that, like, eating wild food is good for our bodies is really good for our guts then hopefully it will just encourage people to go out and to seek that more Mm. Um, and to do that with the support of you know hopefully other foraging teachers who can then you know impact who knows like who knows where this could go like you know impact policies where you know there is more people being recommended wild food to eat for their overall health um, there is more campaigning against like mass um, Sitka spruce plantations or, you know, chemicals being sprayed so that we can contribute to, you know, a wider diversity of species being grown, or, like wider edges being left open for like different weeds to grow. Um, 
yeah like who, who knows it's a it's a really great journey and it's been very interesting to be on so far um mm. and just really inspiring like I mean the other foragers that are doing this project like I've just been in awe of them my whole career you know and before so to be doing something like this alongside some of those people and then to see what people are creating just with you know all of the things that they find in their local bioregion um yeah it's it's pretty pretty mind-blowing stuff amazing and like even you know if somebody were to add in like looking at all your recipes now if anybody's listening like look at the project on instagram look at the recipes they're amazing like you know for even somebody to add in one or two things from looking at that and it's like the impact of that like the density of nutrition and it's so filling like the wild like I was eating seed heads off the kale all week and I'm stuffed like I nearly don't even want to eat a meal after it I'm like oh my god it's the potential of life even in eating the seeds or the microgreens or like anything in the ditches and it's like it's so filling and all those nonsensical cravings we get for stuff like if we can totally reorder the gut like you know and yeah and it's just amazing and there was actually an amazing article came out yesterday I was like yo and you know it's like the farther reach like the BBC came out with um an article on bees and dandelions and I was just like yes like because that's something that's kind of mainstream for a lot of people to see and mm-hmm. they're doing studies now on bees that are visiting dandelion flowers and that and the properties and the compounds that are coming out um, and they're under research at the moment. So it's amazing. So basically the antibiotics aren't working for these diseases and we're being resistant. So they're actually looking at the natural ways and the ancestral ways. And I was like, what a great article because there's so much yeah. re- reach on it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. go the deadlines yeah, <laughs> and go the bees. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's like, it's things we know. And it's like so many of these medicines are what, you know, indigenous cultures have been talking to us about for so long and what our ancestors knew and you know if it takes that there's scientific studies done on this and it gets into the mainstream in that way and to really convince people who might not be convinced otherwise like it can only be a good thing like we're just we know so little (laughs) you know we really just we're so young (laughs) we're like the youngest species it's like yeah there's just so much more um, to all of this I feel than, than we can even conceive of yeah I'd say so <laughs> I'd say so for sure I know nothing um, and um, the this, the research then will that come out this year do you think about how you've worked yeah so I mean I think it will depend a lot on how our funding goes so we're still we've managed to crowdfund enough to get blood tests for every participant done for before and after the project um, and now we're continuing to fund to go towards getting peer review peer reviewed articles written Um. so yeah that will depend largely on how the funding goes Um. Hopefully we can get something together in the next year or two, but um, maybe you could get Monica Wilde on your podcast to, to talk about that because we kind of defer, divert all those questions to Monica. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully I'll get her on. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully there might be something in the works. Um, do you want to share anything else? Um, I saw that you have a deer workshop coming up maybe. 
Do you want to share anything about that? Or? Um, well, I suppose I've just released a, a collaboration that I'm doing with my friend, Rosemary Kavanagh, who's an amazing willow basket maker. Um, so we're doing a, a camp called Willow and Wild. So people can come and choose whether to learn willow basketry from Rosemary, who is an amazing basket maker, um, or to come and do uh, wild foods and cooking and fire with me. Um, so that's at the beginning of June in County May. And then, yeah, we have a few spaces left on this almost out workshop, um, which is um, almost out like deer honouring. Um, so this will be the third time that we've run this class, um, which focuses all around, yeah, how do we how do we honour life in death? Um, so taking the life of a deer um, and then using every single part of the body to, to honour that life um, and explore what it what that means for us you know um there's a lot of people who come to that offering that ceremony as a way of wanting to explore their relationship with eating animals with um taking a life so that they can live with being in reciprocity there are people who come who are vegetarians but who maybe want to start eating deer because they recognize the impact that the um overabundance of deer is having on our local ecology um, so yeah, it's a kind of it's a multifaceted offering that's um kind of ecology and mythology and craft and practical skills and really is kind of guided by questioning rather than in any sort of this is how we do it. Um, we're just kind of, as my friend Jesse says, we're just throwing down the blanket and asking people to come and um see what comes from that really. So that's happening in September. Um, and then I've also got a, I, I guide wilderness rites of passage for adults as well. So that's happening in October. It's a 12 day ceremony and there's a four day and night fast on the land. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a big thing <laughs> as well that people come to do. Um, so it's really about people going out and um, yeah, being being with spirit, being with nature, being with mystery, however they conceive of it. And um, yeah, just they, they take four days and nights out on the land without food by themselves and minimal shelter um, and the stories and the, um, yeah, really the stories that come from that ceremony and those people um, is very, very moving and powerful. And so, yeah, I only offer that ceremony once a year um, in Donegal. So the, we're now accepting applications for that as well. Wow, amazing, amazing things lined up. Wow. And um, yeah, I was just curious myself with the deer. Do you go out and do you go out yourself and catch it? No, no. Um, well, for that course, we have a hunter um, who shoots the deer a few days beforehand. Um, it's quite a thing to hinge a whole course on whether or not a deer is shot, you know, so Initially, we had wanted the deer to come straight there in the morning, but it's, uh, yeah, it's just, you can't plan for that kind of thing. Um, and I do go out stalking with local hunters and eventually down the line, I would like to begin hunting, but I'm kind of just taking it as a very long apprenticeship at the moment because yeah. I don't want to rush that. I know a couple of people, but they're far, far older than I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, 
I wouldn't see many around here. So you have quite a lot up there. Of hunters or deer? Uh, deer. There's the largest herd in Ireland is in Donegal. Um, yeah, so it's mostly red deer up here. And uh, yeah, it's just like there's 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 so many. Um, and I think like people don't realize that when there are too many deer, it's actually detrimental to the deer themselves that the, you know, the older ones, um, their teeth wear down so they can no longer feed. So they end up starving. And then the younger deer, there's not enough food for them because of how many deer there are. So it's kind of like, yeah. And and actually, so on on the almost Oish course, we invite a local kind of deer hunter or somebody who's managing the land in that way to come and speak about their relationship with the deer the impact on the land it's sort of just to to really ground it in the local ecology and we had a guy there recently we did this um we had this offering in Dartmoor and he spoke about something that I hadn't really considered before because often when we talk about the overpopulation of deer there's a really strong focus on trees and how deer eat the young trees, so the trees can't regenerate, and uh, therefore we have like a treeless landscape. But he kind of broadened it for me, and in, in speaking about, you know, when those trees aren't there, then there's also no habitat for, like the butterflies and the rodents, and like he just kind of cascaded it down, like to all the different species that are impacted by what is because of the lack of predators, you know, the lack of the wolf and human management practices of the land here. Um, so while there are like ecologies where the deer is important, and of course the deer have their own ecological niche on this land, there are also like impacts which affect not only the deer, but like all other species within the ecosystem. I mean, of course it does. It's like, it's an imbalance, you know, um so uh yeah so that that's a big part of it for us is to yeah just kind of gain a bigger picture of what's what's happening as mm. well thank you for sharing really insightful um yeah so thank you for coming on today i really appreciate you taking the time and sharing all the knowledge um yeah Thank you so much for having me, Kat. It's been gorgeous and really thank you for all the gorgeous work that you're doing as well with young people and adults and bees and nature and yeah, just your bright, your bright spirit that you're bringing to this land. <laughs> I know, I know, but it dampened me down. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, thank you, Lucy. Um, folks, if you enjoyed this show, please give it a share um, or share it online it would be great to get more reach and um patrons thank you so much for supporting every month if you can support me and my mission with the bees please go on to patreon.com slash catch and i'll talk to you all very soon Sloan. <laughs>